welcome to this week's episode of the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is your go-to podcast for stories of Asheville-based entrepreneurs, small business owners, creators, community leaders. We are normalizing the many ways that there are to make it in Asheville, to try uh, to fail and to try again is a theme that we keep seeing uh, in our guest stories. And this week, we're very excited to share the story of Matt Paris from Roots Hummus. You might know Roots if you've ever been to a store that sells food. There are thousands of locations across the nation that sell Roots Hummus. Um, and Roots it currently is in a 40,000-square-foot location in East Asheville. You might remember the episode we had with uh, Highland Brewing in the same general complex. We look forward to hearing how they got there and where they're going next. Matt, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, thank, thank you so much for ha having me on. Yeah, Matt, Matt Paris, I've, I've uh, been in Asheville since 01, I guess, and, and Silva since 97, so in this region since 97 here. But yeah, um, been been in Asheville and, and uh, you know, tried, was actually working for uh, a telephone company when I, when I moved here and was always trying to kind of plot my escape and uh yeah eventually eventually did with a partner that started we started a little food thing and then that quickly morphed into into roots but yeah i've been doing doing this steadily since 06 so um wow okay so uh maybe so roots is to me one of the brands in Asheville that uh has seemed to transcend uh local right it's 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 beyond local it seems and so that's it puts you in a very small section of uh folks who have made a national jump and so i'd love to just spend a moment and try and say what is happening today in roots and then we'll go back in time we'll we'll yeah, yeah. go to the cool. beginning and say well it wasn't always roots it was this it was that um and so today like i see you in all the markets in Asheville, uh, you make exclusively hummus, but multiple flavor. What, so, what's going on at Roots? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have we do uh, currently only have hummus on the market under the Roots uh, label, and but we're in the process of launching a new product line that'll hit the market like early June. Wow! Um, it's just that's it, the the way that the the grocery business. Uh, works is is often in in uh, kind of what's the latest greatest thing and buyers get bored pretty quickly and mm -hmm. and and my my rebuttal is that well there's there's the reason that hummus sales are flat nationally is because there's not much interesting happening in the in the uh, category of hummus so anyway it's it's a uh, not super exciting <laughs> but that's uh, that's kind of how the it's a bit trendy the the grocery business can be and so you know we're trying to work kind of multiple uh tracks as you you know you have to do in in the entrepreneurial world and work you know develop what what's working and be looking down the road but also be innovating things that are going to allow you to to continue to grow into new markets and stuff so um but yeah we've we've only doing hummus has been a very uh, difficult thing for me to to finally accept after years of trying to like do my cafe. It was it really started as a cafe, and, uh -huh. and um, I really wanted to keep that thing going because it's 
you know, it's visceral and you're, you're seeing people and you're meeting people and it's like you get that, um, you know, instant sort of connection and get, get to share something delicious and fresh with someone. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a little a more personal kind of uh, business that way. So I was pretty reluctant to just do the wholesale thing. Yeah. Um, as is often the case where you're, you know, you, you're things you conceive of as, as what is going to limit you is really, it's not, it's just in your head. There's, there's so many ways that, that, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the, the, the other aspects of the, the business, uh, in, in the wholesale realm as well. So we, we started, we, we became only a wholesale, uh, producer in tw- or exclusively wholesale producer in 2011, I guess it was. So it was like, from 06 to 11, it was a coma, uh, like uh, any sort of, you know, juggling act between cafe and wholesale and catering and just kind of whatever was going to, you know, pay the bills. And- sure. And, and, and I mean, just before the episode started for, for context of, you know, wholesale, it's one thing uh, to, to have like a, a wholesale business. It's another thing to have a scale of wholesale where you're fulfilling orders for thousands of retail locations across the country, um, adding accounts that represent hundreds of locations um, to today's version of the business, right? So you, you're, you've now pointed towards June or J- July that'll have um, a, a new product line um, is the language I'm using, but like a new product line today, right? I mean, that's absolutely crazy to go uh, to, f- to get distribution into hundreds of stores. What is that, you know, what does that look like? How 40,000 square feet sounds like a play number to me, right? We're in 700 here, right? So like, what does, what does it look like to how many people are involved in a 40,000 and, you know, thousands of locations, um, distribution yeah. process? fulfillment wholesale yeah, i mean it's well when we we've been in our uh, in this facility for like two just right over two years we've been functioning operating out of here and it took about year and a half two years to build it so this was uh it used to be the blue ridge motion pictures uh facility here before highland mm-hmm. bought it i mean and i i, I might be uh misspeaking on on, so, on some of this but I, I i believe that was the the um, i think you're right because i think that they found in one of the anecdotes from that episode was they found something that they thought might have been a bomb, but it was just like an old, like, canister of film from, like, the last tenants. And it was, like, this whole big moment at the very beginning of moving in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was apparently, like, and again, I don't know if I'm just repeating, uh, you know, false urban legend or exactly what's right but I, I i think that this facility that we're in was where they were doing you know some pretty massive scenes is 40 foot ceilings and uh apparently the some of the last of the Higgins was filmed here or whatever wow. so anyway that the you know the whole facility it has been um i guess a development of highlands ever since they they got in here and then it was like i think lance snacks was here before it's their southeast distribution center but um but yeah, we built built the facility. I mean, it was just a big shell. The yeah. the warehouse was, and um, uh, yeah, we designed it in a way that was going to be able to 
hopefully scale for a very, very long time. So it's kind of wild. I, when I when I take people through the facility, I, I point out that our dish room is like the size of what our old facility or our old kitchen was for like 12 years. And I mean, we, we grew in that little building there down in the, in the arts district for, for 12 years. And, you know, I was always trying to find the place that was going to be, mm. you know, our forever, forever home, so to speak, and really wanted to, to own the, the property. But, um, you know, there was several years of, of trying to work that out. And finally, um, Michael Porterfield, who was the uh, CEO here at Roots for almost four years, and my brother, Lowell Paris, they they located this uh, building here at Highland. And, and um, yeah, it seemed like it was going to be a really good fit. And, you know, it's a, it definitely allowed us to put more focus on the facility than trying to, to purchase like a, a property and afford to build a facility as well. So I think we've got, you know, this is the scale of it is like at least a hundred times more than what we where we were at as far as where, where we will be able to grow. Um, and so, I mean, we're, we're, we have a very small uh, percentage of our capacity that we're using right now. Oh, wow. okay. you know, that's kind of as, as intended. So, you know, this is, I think of a, a, a challenging place for, for uh, a lot of businesses is when you're, when you're making a transition into like, you know, a, a place where you're going to be able to, to grow. There's a, there's a pretty deep chasm there between um, where you have been and then having to stretch to get into the new place. And, and, um, you know, and we've t- t- had to take on a you know pretty decent bit of debt to do that, but mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's how it goes, and and um, you know we're the things are things are definitely developing well, and we're, we've got a lot of really good things happening. But it's the like like for you know everybody, it's just been an unpredictable year, and you know there's been some things that were not because of COVID, as far as some some sales that we've seen. Uh, drop, and then there's some things that were directly because of COVID that that we've seen mm. a lot, you know, uh, uh, reduction in business. And the grocery grocery business has, you know, obviously skyrocketed for for some some products, some uh, some stores. Toilet paper. Had to, have a, had to have a year. Beef. Right. <laughs> a I think they of- said alcohol had its first flat month in a year, or or something like that. Like. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is bizarre. I, I'm wondering if this is my connection to my, am I a little jittery to you? You look okay uh, and sound okay on my end. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, now you're back. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, um, you know, some folks, it, it's the, from the outside, it probably seems like, well, you're in the grocery business. Of course, it's been really good for this. It's been, it's been pretty, pretty rough, but, um, but we're, we're, we're steadying out. And, um, you know, when we moved in here, we had almost 50 people on our team and, um, you know, we were hoping that the sales were going to allow us to keep a lot, uh, you know, anybody that, that wanted to stay, but we had to face some pretty, you know, uh, harsh financial realities as we got in here and where just where our sales were and production and everything. And it's like, you know, part of the intention was to get more efficient and we have, we got way more efficient. And so now I think we have 22 people on the team and, but we're actually able to make significantly more than we were beforehand. But you know, that's the, you know, the trajectory of, of any manufacturing business is that you want, you know, you want to be able to, 
to constantly be getting more efficient and having, you know, fewer, higher paying, you know, higher quality jobs, um, then, then, you know, just continue to do things in the same way that you've done. So that's, that's what this space is allowing us to do is continually, uh, find ways that we can, you know, be more efficient. And the way that I tried to conceptualize this and designing this place is to, to be able to take real artisan techniques and scale them up to, you know, a mass production scale. And there's just some things that you can, and you can, it doesn't matter if your, if your kettle is a thousand gallons or if it's, you know, 50 gallons, that's not going to change the quality of your product. But there are a lot of things that have to be done by hand and, you know, super, excuse me, attention to, to detail and you can't just throw another machine at. So like, I feel like we've done a really good job of, of finding a balance here. That's like, we're able to do high volume, large scale production, but it was designed in a way where we make sure that we can, the, the parts of the process that do require that kind of artisan touch and attention to detail can still be, um, integrated into the, into that process. Cause I think that's a, a that happens I think it's a real challenge in taking like a, you know, something, you make something wonderful in your, in your kitchen mm-hmm. and, and then it's like, okay, we'll make a thousand gallons of that and see, and, and like how there, you can't just like, oh, you got to stir it here for a second to make sure, you know, you, you let it cool for a second here. It's just like, it's a whole different beast. And, um, and I think that that is, there can be a lot of product quality loss and we experienced that moving in here it was like it was it was really rough for a couple months to try to scale up and i wish that we could have just kind of like stopped it and said all right we're gonna we're gonna make sure we got all the bugs worked out but you know and if if we were owned by you know somebody who had the funding to say that that we could do that then then that's probably what we would have done but we kind of had to you know do it as we're as we're continuing to stay in business so it was big transition getting in here i honestly can't fully imagine it. I'm wondering, um, based on my limited knowledge of your story, you had not necessarily taken a manufacturing business and scaled it up before. How did you and team (laughs) attempt to, uh, learn before you did it? Or did you just say like, Hey, like there are certain steps in a business's trajectory where I'm sure it has to look like a leap of faith, but most everyone does some form or another of diligence. I'm wondering what yours might look like. Were you reading books? Were you interviewing other manufacturers? Do you have like a network of folks who have been there, done that, that you call on? Because the transition from a kitchen to something that could potentially throw out a hundred times more product is so big that it's a leap of faith. But I'm wondering what diligence looked like for you. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm. I'm not very. Uh, was structured in my in my diligence i I would say i mean i I thankfully um you know have uh, there have been people that i've been connected with and that have (laughs) um been so incredibly like supportive and have expertise that are you know not where where i mean I, i i basically you know, just started designing this place and, and, uh, Jason Pizarro, who ended up being the project manager here, who has a, a you know, career's worth of 
engineering and machine building. He 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 worked with me on I guess a, a project a couple years before getting into here. We uh, worked really well together, and he's just got a a level of like expertise and 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 that kind of like thorough diligence that that um it thankfully it just it was the time time that it worked out and and um i had you know i had a, a a really competent and um you know trustworthy partner basically to 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 do this with and so he he helped make that process way easier to get in touch with the right process design engineers and people that we would need to to be working with to do custom equipment of this of this scale and um and there's i mean there's so many organizations out there that can help with the design of this kind of thing but um because because of jay's expertise and and because of like my sort of focus on I know how I want it to be done and we kept finding that like well nobody does it really that way and it's not like we're doing something you know it's not rocket science it's just that it's a different technique and for for several parts of our process and oh and and strangely you know as simple as some of the stuff was we realized when you put it on this kind of scale people were just like why why are you going to do that why are you going to like you just pump it from here to there it's like no we have to do this step in between and so we had to design stuff in a really custom way and I'm, I'm sure that's what how every manufacturing process goes it's not really like a plug-and-play thing and that can be very expensive when you have to build the thing and then see if it works in the year 2014 i cut my hand open trying to do something fancy and open a bottle of beer that little cut happened 3 o'clock in the morning. My only option was to go to a hospital in New York City. That quick trip got me four or five stitches. Those five stitches cost me about $1,000 each, maybe a little more. I paid off that hospital visit for years, and it made me never want to go to a hospital again. And so when we heard about Range Urgent Care in Asheville, who has a very convenient uh, model, once that says, show up anytime, book ahead of time, and you will be seen when we say that we would see you. Uh, they do virtual visits, they do home visits, and they have a pricing model that is consistent, 149 every time you come in. And you can go in for anything that's not proper emergency care, 149 every single visit for x-rays, for stitches, for uh, a checkup. You can you can go and not have to mortgage your home to pay off the treatment. How about that? Sounds amazing. Where would you go to learn more about this? You'd go to makingitinashville.com forward slash range. We have links to a number of range subscription options. I subscribe to a single person's uh, subscription plan. It costs me $30 a month and I love it. It gives me peace of mind. And I know that I will not go bankrupt if I ever cut my hand in the middle of the night trying to open up a bottle of beer. Rangeurgentcare.com or makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn more about these plants. Yeah, what what a crazy concept. Like it's it's if it hasn't been done and then the the testing and the iterating and realizing, oh no, it we used to just let it we just used to transition from step, you know, thirteen to step fourteen. And now we have 13B, which is let it cool for 30 minutes because right. the scale is different. Um, what, 
you know, I'm my mind grabbing at concepts is, you know, uh, buzzwords, Six Sigma, uh, the, the book, the goal by the guy Goldie Rat, where, where you're attempting to troubleshoot, ask why and how like five times. And then you finally get to the cause of the thing, which was a, a loose screw somewhere. So like, uh, is it just, you know, f- find the right partners who have the competency in production design and engineering and um and then at the end of the day it's you need to attempt to make hummus and figure out what's not working i mean i feel like it it, and from my experience like the the only thing that because i've 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 had basically no training to do anything that i've that i'm doing or or um have done or i'm trying trying to do but i i feel like if you, you know, having clarity about the why, why you're doing something and really um, continuing to focus on that and, like, the clearer that you can be, you know, the, the, the easier it is for things to come and, and, like, kind of integrate into what you're doing. It's like if you, if you have clarity, then, then, you know, there's just all these things that, that, that end up happening, I feel like, that could never happen if the, and I, I feel like this is one of the, one of my uh, kind of instincts that I think actually is, is helpful, even if it is probably just kind of maddening sometimes for the people uh, around me, is that, is that, like, I do... I don't really, I don't really get bogged down and like, well, that's not going to work. And then that's, it's like, this is, I know it's, we're, we're going to make this happen. And it's, you know, the, you can, you can, you know, the, the analysis paralysis thing, it's like that there's, there's a hundred reasons not to do something, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if, if you know what your reason is to do it, then all that other stuff can get worked out. And, and, um, I just feel like that, that I've been fortunate that, that I, you know, I continue to, to um, work with people who who are um, in that in that kind of flow and alignment, and you know, and I I don't really play defense unless I unless I have to, you know, and try to figure out okay, well, it's you know, there obviously there are a lot of realities that you that you have to, to deal with, but um, but as far as where the business is going, it's like it, I feel like if you're not careful, you end up being you end up modifying your vision to, to fit the circumstances instead of like um, moving forward with what you really what you really intended to do in the first place. You know, I love that. Uh, a way that I've heard that described is founders having a reality distortion field that uh, <laughs> makes you know the people who who get it and who are you know are on that same wavelength do things that other folks would have said that, well, that's, you know, there's a hundred reasons why it wouldn't work, um, to your point. And we're looking for the one where it does work. Uh, I, I love that. And I think that, uh, I think that that type of, that story is not necessarily unique, right? It's the, the context and the making hummus is, but the idea that we're just going to figure it out, um, seems to show up a lot when you talk to people who are uh, building anything. And so uh, maybe we go back towards the beginning. It's one thing to solve for uh, 
you know, where to put the mixer in a 40,000 square foot facility. It's another thing to say, uh, I want to sell something for the first time. Um, so you mentioned that you were working in, I think, telephones or, or, or some, some form or another of tele communications. Fixing the telephone wires. Yeah. Fixing telephone wires. Okay. So transitioning from that, into a kitchen or into a cafe, how, when, where, perhaps why? Um, uh, the, the, the why was, was twofold because I, I, I love food and, and I wanted to, the, the other part was I wanted to create a business that was going to allow me to have a, you know, source of income that would allow me to play, to, um, explore and develop my musical, um, you know, um, you know, passion. And, and that's, that's really what, what I have intended for a long time to, to focus on is, is music. And I, you know, I had the, the idea that I was going to be able to, um, establish a, uh, a business that would allow me to focus on that, you know, more exclusively. And, um, it's taken a lot longer than, than I anticipated yeah. to kind of get, you know, to 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 where that was even a possibility. But that was it was kind of twofold. It was like you know I wanted to be uh, in doing my own thing, and and I also wanted to to yeah play music. But I, after dabbling and trying to do that from a kind of treating it as a business, I was like I'm that's not I can't do that. It's it's really not not why I'm playing music. So. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a twofold thing. And, and the more I got into the, the food part of it, the, the more I real, realized how much I enjoyed it. And, and, um, and then just really how, how much I believe in food as a medium to, to, to do really, really good work in the world. And I mean, it's just the, it's the most natural connector of people. There's so many things that come together in food and, 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 um, and so there's this whole, you know, way that I've conceptualized what the business exists for that has, I think, driven me to, to want it to be like really, really successful so that, so that I can focus on the work of the, the or the mission the vision of of why I'm doing this in the first place because if it was just to you know make more and and even you know there's there's so many things I enjoy about the food process of it and and everything that goes along with the sourcing and the creation and the product design I mean the packaging design and everything there's there's so much of it that I enjoy but it's that's not enough for me to to want to to like continue to to work on it like like this it's really more so that it can be a financial engine to help the the what i see as the real real work of roots which is to help bring about this message is of using food as the as the medium for teaching as the basis for education and and i i just you know we're we're in a very um uh, tenuous period of time here or situation just as you know global 
humanity that, that we're, we're on obviously a very unsustainable path. And, and I just, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time to, to, you know, I mean, who knows how, how things are going to, to play, play, play out. But as far as on a, on a pretty massive scale, we got to turn things around pretty quickly. And I think food is the only thing that has the, has the power to, to do that. Our relationship with food is the only thing that can actually pivot our, um, trajectory. And, and, um, yeah, and that's where I, 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 I feel like my work is to, to, well, I mean, I have to keep the, you know, the ship steady here and, and like we we're, we're trying to, to get reestablished after, you know, pretty, it was a, it was a tough transition into this place in, into this new facility anyway, and taking on debt for the first time in, in earnest and, and, um, and then the pandemic and everything. So we're trying to just get this, this steady. And, you know, that's the thing about being an entrepreneur, you have to, you know, do, do 10 things at once a lot of times, but my drive is for the, for the, um, for the work of the Roots Foundation and is to, to really focus on education and education through food. So my, I got all sorts of warm fuzzies from hearing that I'll call it a monologue. Um, but hearing that story, right? So it's one thing to say, uh, I wanted to make a quick buck. It's another thing to say, I, I wanted a better lifestyle, right? I was working for Acme Corp didn't feel valued, wanted a better lifestyle. I want to play music, right? So th- there was many degrees of uh, of what might make someone start a project for the first time or a business for a first time. Your clarity on this um, food as the vehicle for you know global change and and, and critical global change. Um, was that there from day one? Is that because it f- almost feels like it's something that, like, as you run a business, you might find clarity in hindsight. Like, yo, we actually check this out. We have a potential to do real, meaningful work here. Like, every vendor we select makes a difference. Every you know right. dollar that we make in profit, we can choose to use it wherever, however we want. It's ours. Um, or was that you know was it baked in from day one? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I basically had a year of development of it was it was kind of what preceded Roots with a couple partners, and we were trying to do uh, like a wholesale thing together, and and it was really when when I decided, and I kind of there was there was becoming some co- complications there. It's like, and I decided well, I want to do. I want to keep doing that, but I want to do my own thing and and like open up this little. Um, breakfast lunch cafe and and really trying to get clear about where am i coming from with this and the it really it seemed very clear to me at from that time of saying i'm gonna i'm gonna do this part of it on my own that like the reason that the reason i called it roots was because as i really got in tune with what i wanted from you know from this whole experience and wanted it to function as is like food is the it's the universal connector and i and i want to to see if i can help establish kind of a um you know a network of urban suppliers that are are 
supplying us at the cafe and you know we'll help them transition their yards into growing space and then guarantee them that we'll grow we will buy x amount until you until you pay that you know if we've got an investment in in transitioning your space then you know you give us a reduced rate for a, a while on stuff but then then we will buy everything at market price and like to, just the vision of like if everybody was growing uh, and you could you could actually have a pretty vibrant uh, urban production mm-hmm. environment if if people were had had a real outlet for the what they were growing in their um, in their own private space. I mean, and it was so it was it was really more of an instinctual kind of understanding that like food is is a it's it's the most natural connector and and there's and the more that I you know got into that kind of idea of community uh, and urban agriculture, the more I realized, well, this it's it's really difficult with to to try to have longevity with with individual homeowners and stuff. So, like, I switched into working with the schools, hmm. um, and partly of, of a large part of that motivation was uh, because of my son and seeing his experience in the schools and like, and how the food and schools work and, and, and how, how, uh, much is missing there. And so, and, and just trying to continually work on, on, on from that, from that idea of like, you know, kids learn better in nature, food connects people. You know, I want, I just want this to be, um, you know, useful for, for the, our our world in a you know a positive positive way and you know if we weren't if we weren't in the situation that we were in then yeah make your money and go do whatever you want to do or whatever but like I have a you know like I think a lot of people have vested interest in trying to figure out how to be a part of the solution and a lot of the changes that we that we have to make and or that we need to and um yeah so and I think I think uh, honestly my my uh, my sincere desire to 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 um, to be helpful in that and not to try to turn it into something that we could, you know, put on our label or greenwash or something. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like that, that, that has been my, my, you know, guide is, is that I really do, um, you know, care about how, how we, um, interact with the world, what we can, you know, how, where, where we're going and how we can really change things. And I think education and food are like, you know, two of the only things that we can, <laughs> you have no argument uh from me on on those two as paramount um i'm wondering any in the early days as you know maybe as you're thinking about starting your own thing or uh starting roots uh starting the cafe but any, any resources people uh that were inspirational to you or uh particularly helpful my mind as you talk about your why goes a little bit to Dan Barber and like the third plate and thinking about food systems and uh, how how we're all connected and if we can make better food a bigger part of everyone's world and realize that it's accessible, then uh, we might could change this thing. And so I'm wondering, uh, early days, where did influence come to you and from? I mean, honestly, the the people that come to mind and I, I I'm um, not proud of the fact that I'm not super well read. I, I don't read a lot, but Michael Pollan, mm, definitely. Um, 
uh, a couple of his books and and then um Joel Salatin uh Polyface Farms. I don't know if you know okay. Joel Salatin. I just think he's like he's the man and and um you know just just a couple people who who I felt like really understood the the um kind of the power of food and, and you know the the right approach because I I don't like the the way that Joel Salatin approaches it is not in this like we you know can't demonize animals or de- you know it's like it there really is a balance that needs to be struck and it's easy to like we keep trying to apply these these top down kind of mm-hmm. solutions to things that that like um, there it's just much more of a of a dynamic kind of web it's not you can't like if you just try to if we were all vegan we had no animals it's like then you have to have all kinds of inputs um into your soil that i mean it's supposed to work together as a whole ecosystem so um but yeah those are two two kind of heroes of mine and um and yeah just like yeah, so those 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 were definitely- that, that, that's that's a great answer. Uh, so Joel Salton uh, will be bookmarked, and we'll link to him. Michael Pollan, I think Sarah, my wife, um, and I have most Michael Pollan books at this point. He is a huge deal. I, I'll I'll listen to his podcast. I'll watch his. I think he has a couple of Netflix shows. Um, so those all uh, make perfect sense. Um, lo- love that. And now you're running V one of what will eventually be become roots. Uh, I mean, it was over 15 years or about 15 years ago at this point. Do you remember some of the first mile markers where you're like, all right, we have a wholesale account or we have 10 or we need to change some part of our production process because it no longer supports demand appropriately. How to hire someone. What happened early days? Yeah. Um, I got connected with Randy Talley who connected me with earth fair Mm. and got meeting to, to where we were basically like got the opportunity. And this is after basically getting kicked out of the, the West Asheville co-op, um, and being, being, uh, (laughs) excommunicated to the, to the arts district there for a couple of years and trying to, to make it work there. Um, yeah, made that connection with Earthfair and had the opportunity to to uh, kind of interview or give present a few items to them that that uh, we ended up working with them in kind of like a commissary kitchen mm-hmm. capacity. But one of the first, it's like when they put their maybe second or third order in for hummus, and it's like we've it, you know literally make it in in a countertop, you know, just like a your kitchen aid or something. KitchenAid, yeah, you yeah. make four or five pounds at a time and we've got to make like 250 pounds of it. And it was like, Oh my God, this is clearly not going to work like this. So I remember that first production run of like doing immersion blender. It was the, well, you can't, we couldn't get the, the, the texture you want with it. Actually, I didn't even have an immersion blender probably at that time, but yeah, a little tabletop Cuisinart. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, so welcome to the world of, you know, VCMs, you know, you got a bigger food prep. Now we can make 75 pounds at a time. But then, holy shit, they're going to charge me, you know, they got to charge me $4,000 just to wire it. You know, it's like you start some of those things that <laughs> the early days, it's just like, I don't understand how, how any of this can be this expensive. It's just like, I mean, I started the business with $10,000. So like that, it, 
it was, I mean, I honestly, looking back, I don't know how I made a lot of it work on as little revenue as there was. I just really don't even understand. Um, but you know, it's all relative and that's your, when that's your reality, you figure it out. Um, but yeah, that one definitely stood out. <laughs> it's like eight hours uh, on the tabletop with doing four pounds of hummus at a time. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we, you know, uh, for for a couple several years, we were, you know, filling our containers with ice cream scoops, and you get them mm-hmm. and take a little bit out and put it back in, and, and then heat seal. And we, I mean, I think our shelf life was seven days when we started. Wow. Which is it's brutal and total uh, almost a non-starter but you know it just like we kept figuring out ways to to make it a a little better and a little better and but that was always our kind of achilles heel with spoilage and and not having you know product i can only imagine and so it seems to me that having earth fair as a i'll call them flagship client uh early days would be a huge uh Oh, that's the only that, that was that was what the business was built on for. Okay. I mean, and 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 we were just making it in bulk, right? Like it was not under the roots label. And if they wanted potato salad, we made potato salad. They went to bully. That's you know. So we we made sixty or seventy different things for Earth Fair. You know, we make it in bulk, and then just you know they get it, and then they put it into their deli case, and you think that they they make it there, but yeah. Um, yep. And and you know some of the stuff they do make there, but but like I mean that's how the grocery, a lot of the grocery business works. It's like even at Whole Foods, you walk in and you, know, you see all these fresh salads and stuff. But pro- I don't I actually don't I don't know, but I, I would I would guess at least half of them are coming from their regional commissary kitchen. Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, but I, I really have, I don't know. But that's how you know that's how a lot of that that bulk food service side of things works. It's not anybody's label, right? You know, it's just, and that was that was awesome. You know, I, I very reluctantly put it into a, a, a um, brand that you know, like that came up with our own label. Sure. They said they said that they weren't going to buy it anymore if we didn't start. They didn't want our bulk anymore. They're like, if you want to keep selling hummus to us, you have to put it in your package. So you know, what a interesting uh, kick into the deep end of uh, of an entirely new business model, right? And so. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, you kind of nonchalantly said at one point you were doing sixty skew, sixty unite unique types of products for um, Earth Fair at the time. Two part question: Was it just Asheville's Earth Fair? Was it? I think at some point Earth Fair had twenty something locations. I don't know date stamped how many there might have been, but was it multiple? Yeah, when we started with them, I think they had ten, maybe twelve okay. locations. Okay, and so it was, and, and they had their distribution center there in Arden, mm-hmm. you know, and um, yeah, so that, and we and we weren't probably making we were never making sixty things at once, but like sure. through the rotation of it, I mean, we were probably making twenty five things, maybe maybe yeah probably at our peak as far as the number of things we're actually putting out to them on a weekly basis got it so then they they kick you out of what we'll call the white labeled deli counter and now they say you want shelf space you can have it but it needs to have you need to have your own brand is that when roots becomes a single product yeah that was that was it that was uh, it about when was that that would have been oh nine I think I think it was probably like spring of 09. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I, I managed, like, I was not, um, I didn't have a whole lot of faith in that kind of business because it can be taken away so quickly. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, that was concerning for me. So, so I really, I just pestered the shit out of the guy that owned the, the, um, building that we were in there. And he is a very, uh, good guy that, you know, he, 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 uh, he's done a lot actually for this whole community problem. Uh, Bill Gocher and, and a couple of his partners eventually, but, but him specifically, as far as like keeping rent, rent low, and letting people, you know, have a place to kind of get their thing going on. Uh, he's he's done a lot, and um, and I, I like I said, kind of just pestered him until he finally agreed to sell me the the building down there. And that was like in October of '08, wow. just a couple couple weeks before the bottom fell out. Um, you know, in, in the the '08 collapse or whatever. And um, but the reason that I was so dead set on trying to buy the place was because. I, I got to get the cafe going again. Like it, those sales stick. I, they, you know, like I know I have some control over that. If earth fair decides they don't want us anymore. Buy, buyer leaves, right. Uh, yeah. and anything changes. It seemed like that's what one of the things I was going to say. It seems like having a flagship customer like that is, could be scary because the volume out of the gate is a lot to figure out, but at least it's, sure seems resilient if 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 hummus isn't moving tabbouleh if tabbouleh tuna salad what you know whatever it is and you could flow across products you could uh you always have some form of a demand no matter what and now to go to a single product to i don't know if you had other uh clients customers yeah we kept all of it going and like we're still having cafe still doing catering still doing all these other products for wholesale but we is just specifically hummus they said in which we were selling them more hummus than i guess anything but we were selling you know five six seven hundred pounds of tabbouleh a week um that was one of our big ones with them or you know a couple pasta salads potato salads um yeah so i mean we kept all that stuff going on you know together and and you know earth fair did they they just cut us a couple times because they found, you know, what they thought was a better deal. Um, but that happened, you know, we went back and forth that, that way a few times and it was, it was, it was pretty rocky. Um, but as we got into other markets and then, you know, we were, we were kicking ass at, at green life. They were selling like, I think when whole foods bought it, they, they actually were like, this must be a typo or whatever. Like you're selling 800 a, a week of this kind. So, so like that's how we got a conversation with whole foods. And, and then they said, you know, they gave us a shot at getting into the, the, the all their North Carolina stores and then eventually the region. And, you know, so that grew and it's, you know, the, it, it really, I mean, I do think that we have the best hummus on the market, but it kind of could have been, um, you know, it, there's a lot of different things that could have been. It was really, you know, the, at the time, hummus was was um, you know gaining a lot of popularity and was sort of uh, went with it. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I, I think I remember uh, when hummus first really charged onto into my radar. That might have been around 2012, 13, 14. Uh, good years for hummus, and then it was. Uh, I don't know, kale or kombucha or uh, sauerkraut or something. But um, v- very interesting turn of events to go from 
uh, V1 into V2. Does at at what point are is is roots entirely hummus with a bunch of different versions of hummus? What changed in that process? Well, I think that uh, my my brother and I started. He he started working with me in. 2013, I believe it was, and we had his older brother, four years older, and he'd been working at Microsoft for 10 years and like software startups before that for 10 years, and like just like uh, just his his capacity and and caliber is 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 enormous, Um, and he'd always talked about wanting to work together and I finally like told him at one point when he talked about it again in 13 I was like please just stop I, you know it's like I get my hopes up and then you know and then it doesn't happen and then and then we started and then he called me like a couple days later and said well if I just quit at <laughs> Microsoft so what do you think and so we started working at <laughs> 13 and it was shortly after that that we decided like all right, let's let go of, we were packaging salsa. We had three different kinds of salsa, mm-hmm. and tzatziki sauce, and they were doing, they were doing fine. They were actually making money, but we just said, you know, we want to be the gourmet hummus brand. And like, it's just easier for people like, and the sales were there to where it's like, okay, we can, we can survive and, and, and do all right with just, just our hummus sales. So like, let's let go of these other things. And I think it's easier in the mind of the customer. It's like, I want to be, you know, the top shelf hummus and like, let's go with that. And, it's in, um, so that the was, riches uh, are in niches is what certain <laughs> industries will, will uh, argue. And it, it seems like, you know, that could be a truth of the 80-20 principle, right? So like 80% of the business is coming from one of the, pro- one of the five products or however you want to run the math. Um, but there's also, it seems some entrepreneur types will love options and love many projects and love like, you know, the juggling act. And so was it scary to let go of these winning products that were winning less? Yeah. It was like early fatherhood. It was just like, I'm, I'm constant, like, uh, discipline that I'm not quite uh, <laughs> adept at. It's like, uh, nope, focus, focus, focus. So it was, I mean, it was only hard for, for my ADD. Sure. You know? yeah. sure. Um, how was working with your brother early days? Oh, it's amazing. He's, yeah. he's like, no, nah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, so lucky. Uh, it's, it's like he, we compliment each other really, really well because, um, like he he just has, like I said, a vast capacity and caliber for for all kinds of organizational, structural like competency and and um you know and I I I I have a, a kind of an intuitive sense about some of the things that you know with with the product development and just I think production is somewhere that like my, I really I really enjoy the production puzzle trying to figure out how to make something you know, take, take the way that you're making it on a small scale and make it bigger or like, how do we, you know, develop parts of our process. They're going to enhance it. And, you know, it's just a, there's the, the actual manufacturing process is, is really, really interesting to me. So I really enjoy that and product development. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that's, we, we, we work really well. That's great. A, uh, a little yin yang, a little right brain, left brain energy, seemingly. 
for sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, and so he comes on, you uh, reduce the skew diversity. I don't know if that's the right term. Uh, mm -hmm. Product types. Uh, do you immediately say we're, you know, original hummus or are you, uh, do you have four hummus lines at the time? Oh, we already had, we already had, I think eight skews okay. of hummus at that time. And so then we developed a couple more over the couple years, but I, I've, I've, you know, several retailers like, you know, what's your next thing? What's your next thing? And I always was just like, tried to, to resist that. Like you gotta be coming out with the next thing. Cause mm -hmm. it's like, our problem is not that we don't have enough flavors of hummus. Our, you know, it's like we need to to, to grow sales with what we've got. You know, yeah. it's no matter who, whether like they want, you know, some seasonal pumpkin spice hummus, whatever it is that they want. <laughs> That's yes, uh, I, I can imagine a buyer saying pumpkin spice immediately. Um, but I feel like that's a huge uh, balancing act. So in in a many years ago, I. I, I helped with a Kickstarter campaign for a really awesome uh, product, and the from like day one, the owner wanted to blow out the product line and put a bunch of different types of things that were complementary out. Um, and there's a balancing act, it seems, between going wide with compliments and going narrow and saying like. We won't. We're not even. We're not even at point zero zero one percent of the total addressable market for this thing. No kidding. Yeah. Like and like, let's get people to reorder before we go to the you know the next product. Um, how have you learned about that over the last fifteen years? Is there any uh, any key takeaways that you try and rem remind yourself between the breadth and depth of products? Um. I don't know. I feel like I'm having to relearn now that, that like, you know, you can't, you can't just kind of set it and forget it. You know, that like we're the, the industry does change. I mean, if we if we were, you know, way more established then maybe, yeah, you just keep doing the one thing that you do, but that's probably an illusion too. I'm sure that like, you know, Heineken developed a, more skews because it's like they, they saw their, their market share, shrinking even though it's like well yeah it's just heineken and like I, I i think that that um as much as i would like to just say this is what we do and we do it really well and we're just going to continue to improve and deepen our you know uh you know supply chain relationships and like you know like i would love to i would love to just go deeper but i i i think that i mean for me the only reason to to like um really push on innovation is is because the market kind of requires it i love to do it on my own and like play with things that we could bring to market and i love that creative part of it but um you know it's 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 tough even what even sometimes I mean, we've got we've been playing with some stuff here recently that's phenomenal but it's like how do you market how do you, what do you tell somebody to do with this i mean and so there's a whole a whole like side of of sales that like doesn't seem to necessarily be um, connected to, to whether or not it's a good product. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if people don't understand what to do with it. So it's like, it is, it's, it's interesting because we've, because of how the business developed, I think to, to a large extent, um, like I have that sort of fluency with like, Oh yeah, what do you need? All right. Yeah. We'll make it. 
Like, and I, I like that. Um, and, but as far as trying to put that under the roots brand, that's not necessarily what we need to be doing because it's like, you, if you're not careful, you end up diluting yourself. And I'm honestly, I'm a little, it's, a uh, you know, unknown territory with it. Our new product line is, is, uh, like there's there's a dairy component to, to some some of them, yeah. and it's, right, so we've been vegan, you know, this vegan uh, focused thing, and 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 now we're moving uh, not away from that, but like um, into other other products, and um, I'm sure we're going to get some you know kickback, and so, but most uh, most people probably do not do not care if we're if we're not just a vegan company, but um, yeah, I, I guess long way of saying that like i'm i'm definitely not a fan of like iterating for iteration's sake you know i think the only things that i'm wanting to to develop are um are things that i think are really going to to deepen and enhance the brand and like we're working on these like mushroom nut sort of uh spread things that are that I think are have a lot of promise and mm. you know I want to be more in the into the stay more plant focused for sure but um but yeah it's a, you know I'm, I'm realizing that with our facility here that one of the things that that we've got we we have a huge market that's available to us that's not necessarily just roots products you know and this is how manufacturing facilities go is that you know you, you you're not making other people's products sometimes too and that's cool i mean i, I want to do that stuff but you have to do this on a parallel track you know You might have heard Range Urgent Care on our podcast. Husband and wife team lives right here in Asheville building a better urgent care model. What are they doing? They're making scheduling seamless and straightforward and honest when they say they'll see you at 4 p.m. You'll be seen at 4 p.m. They make pricing straightforward as well. $149 a visit or less if you subscribe to an annual subscription, which I do. It costs me $30 a month, and I love the peace of mind. But not just that. You don't just get to go in person. You can do virtual visits uh, over your computer or over your phone, and they'll even come to you. They'll do home visits. And to me, I mean, it seems like a absolute no-brainer. You can bring, they have family plans, they have business plans. To me, it's a peace of mind thing. It, it makes me feel confident and comfortable knowing that I can see range uh, in my subscription a number of times a year and it's built into my, my plan. I will not be surprised by a crazy cost and it is covered by most major insurance policies. So if you haven't heard of Range Urgent Care, I welcome you to check out that episode with the power couple that runs it. You can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash range, makingitinashville.com forward slash range to read more about these subscription options and get links to the range website using our link or using our discount code of making it in Asheville. We'll get you a free month in an annual subscription. Again, Range Urgent Care, you can say that we sent you, or visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range. Yeah, well, I want to ask about the next products, and I want to ask about the future, but there's one part of your story that is, uh, you, you, you mentioned in passing, and I want to just 
uh, ask a question about it because I don't know if we've had a guest that has had to go through that process yet. I can't recall. But hiring a CEO, you mentioned that you had a CEO for at least some portion of time. Um, what was that like? Well, it was it was much like most of the most of the um, connections that I end up working in is like it did really felt very guided and and kismet for both of us and um yeah michael porterfield he he was we had been friends for for a few years um but but sort of on the periphery of each other's circles and then we we started talking more and he wanted to see if it was interested in working with roots and i think kind of in a sales capacity was the initial uh format of of us communicating but the more that we work together um and i realized like wow this this guy he he understands all these different facets and i think we're geared in, in a similar way in a lot of ways and i i kind of always been trying to get the business to a place where i was going to be able to step away from Play music yeah exactly <laughs> i remember guess, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um when we it seemed like it was just it really came together really well for both of us and it was a really good move for him and it was like i couldn't have imagined find, finding someone else that i would have like actually been able to you know trust on on that level of um uh, just to to know that it was in in really good hands and um and that we share a similar vision and so that once we agreed that that was going to be the transition that was like maybe March of 16. And then we were uh, in lockstep there for about four months trying to get him up to speed. And then, and then, um, you know, it was time and I stepped away and said, uh, I'll see y'all in a year. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I, I went and just traveled and, and hiked and was like, what, what, try to figure out what I'm going to do. I love it. You're, did your brother stay in the business? Yeah, and he and Michael were like, I mean, Michael is, is like another brother. We just, the three of us work really well together. And um, Yeah, and it was really weird. Like, we always talked like we were going to be, you know, just sort of, yeah, of course we're going to be working together for in foreseeable future. Um, and and it was uh, February of last year that, that Michael said, no, I just think, I feel like it's time for me to do, to move on. And it was like, wow. All right, was well, that cool, man? What are you gonna do? And he's like, I don't really know. <laughs> like, all right, well, so uh, give me a couple of weeks, and and, and so, I got a stretch. It's yeah. been a while. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and uh, yeah, and then a couple of weeks later, I I come come back. My first day is March 9th, and it was like that says everything was like shutting okay. down. Was, yeah. Happening here, so it was really bizarre timing. But I'm super glad to be back and engaged in it. And, you know, trying to like I really love it, and it, it does invigorate me. And I and I I think that part of my uh, sort of journey that that I'm sure some people can relate to uh, is like it. Sometimes you have to like do the full arc to of of trying to like get out of something to realize like no that's like my engagement like my vitality comes from uh you know being fully engaged and i and 
um, you know, I think that we have, we were kind of fed this narrative and I, and, and, and I mean, I definitely fed it to myself, but I think it is a narrative that we kind of get culturally, which is like, yeah, you do your, you know, you do your work so you can escape and mm. do, do, go do whatever you, you want to do. But it's like, I kind of had to come all the way around to realize like, this is what I want to do. Like, I can't, I literally can't imagine having something that I would be more, um, you know, excited about being engaged in. I, it's like, I'm, I, I love so many facets of this and, and, um, yeah, I just got to learn to balance it instead of, you know, go, 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 and then try to get out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, the, a, a gift to many people was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I don't know if you heard of or read or, uh, read. okay. Yeah. But the concept is intuitive enough, but there's, you know, often a, in my experience, a part that is missed or a uh, context that is not, you know, uh, uh, noticed, which is, you know, the idea of building a business that you can throw into quote unquote autopilot or, um, you know, a cash flow dream uh, is, is often wildly unfulfilling, right? Like working, it, to to escape to your point to your words um or thinking that you know once you hit x amount and then you can just go on a beach and work for an hour and you know most people who achieve that and i am not one who has but most people who go far enough in that direction and achieve it hate it and like die for work that means something to them and so it, you know, if you feel like you have to walk all the way out to the end of that, you know, tightrope to realize that you want to go back. Sure. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you take take whatever le lessons and lumps you need. Um, and uh, there is skill developed in the process of figuring out that meaningful work would have been just as, uh, you know, uh, or, or more fulfilling, certainly. Um, and so I think that that's something that's often missed and it and it doesn't necessarily seem like that's what you were setting out to do is build a cash flow business that you could put in autopilot and w whatever. But I see that as a trend on the, uh, no, it, was, it was definitely part of my, okay. I mean, it's like probably like a lot of people, I had a few versions of, you know, what I was doing and why I was doing it. And it's like, but that was one, that was one of the, the, you know, kind of lines of reasoning was, yeah, it's like, I want to, I want to have a, I want it to be able to cash flow to where I can do the other stuff, you know, that, and, but like if the other stuff is only kite sailing and, uh, or kite surfing and, you know, base jumping like that, uh, well, maybe that is enough for some people, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to put work. I got some buddies that that would be enough. Uh, but, but for, for you, it does seem like you are able now to run the, to thread the needle of your why through all of the work, right? And um, food systems and education. And now there's a foundation um, so that uh, you don't need to take months and go to Bali unless sure. you want to take yeah. months and go to Bali. Yeah, because that's kind of what it was, is a bit of a vision quest because like, you know, I found out I was going to be a daddy at 22. And like, I, you know, I'd always, I always kind of thought like, I'm, I'm just going to go travel the world. And then it was like, like I said, it was definitely a, a you know, a lot of, uh, discipline that I was, didn't feel like was, was supernatural for, for me to, to, um, not that fatherhood was, that was actually very natural, but, but as far as the, the, um, you know, kind of 
oh yeah, this is what I did. Oh yeah, I'm not going to just take off. You know, so I think I had this sort of unresolved uh, narrative in my head about like, oh yeah, I've got to go and have my my adventure, my vision quest. And now my boy's 18 and he's uh, going and doing his own thing. My business is in a place where I can I can step away. And yeah, and. And that's what I realized after after not too terribly long was that like yeah there's no amount of being a tourist or whatever other I mean even if it's like you know other cultures are super interesting and I, I really enjoyed traveling to some extent but it's like yeah I it became clear pretty quickly like if I'm not involved in something I feel like it's meaningful work I'm, I'm I don't know I'm lost yeah. so I love it so let's talk about the meaningful work that you see for the where pretty much at the start of Q2 of 2021. What, what, what's happening for the rest of this year? You have at least a product uh, line. Is, that, is it going to fly under the Roots flag? Yeah, it, it is. is. Okay. It is. And, um, and those, those, yeah, I think we were looking at probably mid-late June before uh, actually product is on the shelf with those. But, um, yeah, so, like, and there's, and the, the old space that we were in, I'm in the process of developing that, you know, <laughs> back to the cafe it's like a, a market deli uh business there for where, where the old roots location was but um the real the real focus for me i'm trying trying to to uh spend more time focusing on you know as the as the, a lot of the kind of nuts and bolts of the business uh, of the business are uh more more stabilized here after a rocky year um, I'm trying to focus on the work of, I mean, I see the foundation is really, you know, the foundation, Roots Foundation is just the, it's the 501c3, you know, it's the, the nonprofit arm of Roots and it's funded by Roots, but it's really the work of Roots, which is, you know, I'm, I'm trying, trying to um, communicate and articulate this, I think this, this vision that I have of how to, I mean, it's one thing to teach through food and to like, I think there's, there's one layer of it is that, I mean, if you could, if, if you imagine that every school was actually teaching through food and using that as the, like being able to satisfy all of the state and federal requirements, but like we're building our own lesson plans here and they all, you know, we check all your boxes, but we're doing it through learning how to grow food or build mm. soil or irrigation or um, or cooking and you know there's so many different ways to to uh, connect to food and the theory is basically that there's you, you can teach anything through food so you know if you look at consider what could happen if our schools were more like community centers where I mean the kids are learning to grow food but we're also tapping in to the local resources that and it's not just materials or time it's also knowledge like the community has so much to 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 give to our schools and um so and this is part of what like my my work is for the next however many months or years is to to try to articulate some of this so it's like i think everybody knows that that you know hands-on project-based learning and connected to nature i mean kids just learn better that way it's just you know it's it's um it's pretty obvious and every you know a lot of, a lot of people think well that's a good idea but how do we actually make that shift culturally <laughs> that's a hard question 
I don't have answers yet. Have you found any? I think I, I do think that I've seen a very simple way to to um, to support the shift. And that is like. And we're we're calling it the, the teacher's lounge and we've started, you know, trying to do it here in this space. Some and with COVID, it got yeah, it was kind of weird in this space anyway. And it got weirder with COVID. But basically, the idea is this is like when you want to show somebody that you love them and, uh, and take care of them, you know, food, welcoming, welcoming them into your space and making some good food for them and taking care of, like it's, a, it's the, about the simplest way that you can take care of somebody and show somebody some, some love. Uh, um, universally. Universally. Every, every culture, culture does every, some sort of tea ceremony, some sort of food on the table uh italians in new jersey it's entomans right like you should you come up and pull out the, the pastries <laughs> for company yeah oh god maybe maybe there's some italian in the there's <laughs> like my favorite thing as a kid um yeah it, it, it is it's, it's completely universal and and after working in the schools for for you know five or six years trying to like build gardens and help the teachers like teach from the garden the thing that became more and more clear is like we're asking so much of our teachers and like who is who's taking care of our teachers like none of the educational reform that needs to happen is ever going to happen unless we unless we start actually supporting our teachers instead of and I, i've said this several several times that like our our relationships with our teachers is analogous to our relationship with the earth and we just want more and more we just expect more and more and we give and less and just expect them to kind of deal with it but like how are we actually taking care of them so so the idea is that we we have these teachers lounges and you can and the thing i love about this idea is that it can scale so quickly because all these restaurants and cafes and that are beautiful places and they're sitting there empty from three to five, three to six. When you turn your place into a, a place where you welcome teachers after school and they can come, you know, what we're, what we're building is like, you can come and eat and drink for free and we're going to have to, we're going to have to, you know, systemize that to a certain amount to where it's like, you know, it's because I mean, but that's a, the whole other thing as far as the financial part of it. But the, the spirit of it is, just come and, and get replenished after your day at, at school. And here's, it's a very direct way to, to, to be able to take care and show some love to teachers. And, and I mean, there's, you can't put a, uh, you know, a calculation on what someone does, how differently they behave and perform when they feel loved and supported than when they don't. So, that's 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 one layer of that, but the other layer of that is that imagine if if our cafes and restaurants and from that after after work to you know pre dinner time, if we have these spaces where we're in, where we're taking care of our teachers and we're inviting people in the community to come, it's basically like think of it as the intersection of of food and education and, and community and people who are interested in learning how to connect to their schools through um, food food uh, based education, then there's like everybody's welcome and and the you know the idea is to to create like a, a 
a network and a support system for our teachers to where when they want to build a project, they just, they can just ask for what they they need from the community mm. instead of having to to you know write a grant for it or or try to you know have a bake sale or whatever raise the funds for it. We can just directly ask our our the people in our community and the businesses in our community for whatever it is that we need because like the waste streams of a lot of of businesses roots for instance you know 105 gallon buckets a week you can do a lot with that as far as agricultural sort of um, uses for it you know we got a PVC uh, factory on the next on the river there there's like I mean there there is no shortage of resources and so the whole the whole idea is that instead of instead of trying to figure out how to you know, add more things to our schools to make them more successful and resilient stuff. It's like we've already got everything that we need. It, the infrastructure is in place. It, but if we just switch the 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 basis, the medium into food teaching through food, and had a way of supporting our teachers to help let them get what they're asking for, then um, then it makes it they it makes their jobs a lot more realistic that they can actually teach in this way. And then the idea beyond that is that there's a, a digital platform, really like a social media platform that the, the algorithm is, is um, geared towards connecting to your school and, and being able to give, give to your schools and con- connect with your community through that, through that avenue. And, and that there's a lot of businesses that would incentivize this kind of behavior by, you know, um, having having kind of a commerce side to to the the platform that would allow you to, you know, go, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with your, your Saturday? We'll go volunteer here. And then you also get, you know, a couple of tickets to such and such. So it's like and this is why I can I know you're like wanting to get to like a ne- next question in a way, but. Um, or kind of move this along, but this is where, so like <laughs> you've, you've witnessed in real time, my bogging down in the, in the trying to, um, convey the, the, the layers of, of this kind of vision of, of what, it, of teaching, of really just changing our, um, world through changing our relationship with food. And I think that, you know, education is the only way that that is going to happen. I, I, I love it. Um, and B, I think that all of the ways that you've discussed in person in an app, uh, connecting commerce and specifically the partnership, uh, oftentimes internal partnership uh, between a for-profit and a non-for-profit arm of that business, those are exactly the ways that my mind jumps to for how this gets done. Do you have any like particularly good relationships with schools yet? Or are you looking directly to teachers or like, are you bypassing a, yeah. a school and going to teachers? Well, we've, we definitely developed some good relationships with a few schools here locally. And, um, but uh, honestly, I, the, we, well, we had a, a crew of, of four or five of us there for a few years that was doing a lot of hands-on work in the schools. Mm-hmm building growing spaces and working with teachers to develop lesson plans and teaching from there. Um, and, and I, I had to stop funding it in what April of, of 18, I guess, is that 18 April of 19, because it just, we just ran out of money getting in here into this new place and everything. So like, 
um, I've, those relationships have kind of gone fallow. Um, but, but, and, and now, you know, there's a lot of, obviously every school, every school seems to be doing it a little differently now. Yeah. But we're, I mean, we're still doing a lot of outreach to the schools and just trying to show the teachers love and taking, taking, uh, goodies to, to schools on a, on a daily basis, pretty much here. Uh, like as far as our community outreach kind of, kind of thing, that's part of the kind of development of the marketing of roots is, you know, we're trying to get into just connect with the, the educational networks in different cities and build our marketing around that kind of outreach. And, um, but yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's schools definitely that we have good, good uh, relationships with, but it, over the last year, it's just kind of all been, <laughs> yeah, I can't schools of all the places are, uh, I, I found myself thinking last year, man, I'm so glad that I don't have a school age child right yeah. now, uh, to figure out the operational, uh, chaos in that what last year and now and for the foreseeable future. Crazy. Um, what would support look like for you and for the roots foundation today? If a listener was like, I agree uh food is the way uh children absolutely uh is it come to an event is it check out the website is, what does support look like yeah i mean at, th at this point like connecting with us at rootsfound.org and you know d the the donate button there is really like the main thing we're asking people to donate is their knowledge mm. the time materials and and money uh if they if you want to but the um but i mean connecting with us there is a is a really great way to um to to learn about what we're doing and if you want you know if there's support that wants to be given it's harder to, for us to channel the thing things right now that are um that were kind of intended to be you know directly with the schools as far as like materials and volunteer time and stuff but um but yeah i mean connecting with us there is is the is the best uh way to to kind of support right right now but i mean honestly what i'm what, what i'm wanting to do is like uh be in touch with more people in the that are that are in the educational field that are trying to help you know reconceptualize how to put the pieces back together hopefully they're not going to be put back together exactly the way they were mm. i think this is an opportunity for us to to make some some real changes and um you know so i'm gonna i'm i'm trying to get more uh connected with with some of the some of the folks in our area here that are gonna uh i think help us get get a um you know get the word out more about what, what we are, are doing and just to, how to, to help build some of that, that, uh, kind of cultural, uh, you know, just re reimagining it because it's like, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's so obvious that, that, that it's, it's kind of hard to even recognize sometimes, but it's like our teachers are the, that's, that's, we have to, we have to change the way that we take care of it. We got to change the way we take care of each other, you know, period. And, and it's like our teachers are taking care of our kids. And if we're not taking care of them, then, you know, then we're, we're, we're lost, you know? So I think you're pointing at a truth that is really hard, uh, for anyone to challenge. So, uh, listener, if you are connected, get connected to Matt and co at, uh, we will have the link in the show notes. We'll have it. So it's easy, but it was, uh, rootsfound.org. 
That's perfect. Right. Yeah. And now if I wanted to support, because I think that Mushrooms 2019 through 2021 have been, you talk about a, a vertical line. I think Mushrooms are going through the roof as a as a product, as a food, as a coffee type, as a everything, as a, a psilocybin and like everything mushroom is white hot. And so if I were to want to get in line to participate in some mushroom, is that my right to guess that you mentioned mushroom and nut are going to be the next types of products? Yeah, yeah. That's what we've just, just been working on recently. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm so psyched about. I mean, mushrooms, uh, it's like the more I learn, the more I, yeah, it's like that's what's we're, you know, teachers and mushrooms. That's what's going to save the world. <laughs> that's a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. put that on a bumper sticker, man. I think there's something there. T-shirts and mushrooms. Um, sure. Matt, I want, so we've, we've, we've meandered from 2097 <laughs> when you were in Silva to today. Uh, any parts of the story that we might uh, want to shine a light on before we ask your final making it a Nashville questions? Um, my son is uh, having his check ride next week. He's going to be a... Uh, uh, getting his pilot's license next week, so that's part of this that doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> necessarily, but it's part it. of one of the yeah part of part of my story that I I feel like is just you know it's so it's so good to see him uh, you know find it, find that new that new love and you know get bringing it to to a point of fruition. So, um, but no, I, I don't know if there's anything that that uh, anything else that's like that I feel like hasn't been, I mean, there's so, so, so much, but I, um, no, I mean, I, I just feel like, like probably a lot of what my experience has been wouldn't have happened if it weren't in Asheville because, um, so that is the next question. So when I, uh, the, one of the only consistence is, uh, when you think of Asheville word mm-hmm. now it's in a circle, we're growing school, Venn diagram, Asheville community, the part that overlaps, what shows up for you? Well, just like uh, like a support that I didn't even understand from people that I didn't even know. That just like it, there's just this attitude here of like rooting for the for the hometown folks. You know, it's like so, that's that's something that it has. And I'm I'm sure there's a lot of this in different different cities, but uh, you know, I mean, I've I've never you know lived like this anywhere else. So, but I get the impression it's pretty pretty uh, accentuated here that it's just like there's. People really, really love to to see somebody doing their thing, and they're very supportive of it. And it just seems like a thousand helping hands come to, to uh, you know. I mean, sometimes it feels like there's, you know, the loneliest road you could go on is entrepreneurship. But it, but there's, I just think this this town has is uh, it's it's just really full of people who who really have you know their heart and in, in a good place and want to help each other heard i i tend to agree and uh if this listening audience wants to participate follow along uh learn more about roots where would we send them uh well root, rootsfood.com rootshomas.com um you know and but get in touch with us too i mean we do we do uh facility tours sometimes and i would have yeah at some point if you if you want to come i don't know what you're you know uh, risk tolerances or where your vaccine vaccination. Is. I mean, we we, we keep close. it safe. 
Yeah, yeah, cool. Wood. Um, but yeah, be, you know, we, we do tours from time to time, and um, you know, we're going to be trying to trying to restart our teachers' lounge efforts here, and and do do more of a community focused kind of weekly event here. So, um, yeah, keep up with us here. It's like, yeah, we're we're hoping hoping to have that in motion by the end of the month. Wonderful. So, yeah. Well, Matt. Thank you for your time today. Uh, what a what a pleasure. Likewise, honey. Thanks you for for shining a light on all that you are here.